Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Sagium, where creating wealth is just the beginning. For many of us, planning our financial future can be an abstract and sometimes daunting task, especially when you don't have a framework to work with. The value of a well-thought-out plan can help create a financial roadmap for your future self. At Sagium, they took a hard look at the industry and did not like what they saw. Self-serving behavior by industry professionals, conflicts between what was best for the client versus what was best for the advisor, not taking the time to fully understand the needs of their clients and most importantly, their families, a true lack of collaboration across the entire sector where they were willing to provide diverse value-based advice to clients. Armed with 70 years of experience, Sagium set out to do it differently and provide a solution that truly made a difference in the lives of their clients. The Sagium advisors and wealth strategists focus on wealth, health, corporate, and health solutions that are inextricably linked to your personal vision, values, and goals. They take a holistic approach to work with you to answer the following questions. Will we be okay financially if we retire? How can I plan for medical uncertainty? Is my business on my own terms? And how do I protect and distribute my money from an estate perspective? While we all know that life is never a straight line, at Sagium, the team focuses on relevant, insightful, and consistent conversations to bridge the unexpected, to construct your personal wealth plan, and to support you every step of the way. Sagium is also a proud member of our community and donates 1% of their top-line revenue every year to the charitable sector. FYI, folks, I'm proud to share that I'm personally part of the Sagium family. I joined them about two years ago, and I sleep better at night knowing they're in my corner for me, for now, and for my family's future. To learn more about how Sagium can help you and your family, please visit them today at www.sagium.com. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to my returning guest, Mr. Jeff Adamson. How are you, Jeff? Mm. I'm doing well. Great to be here, Tyler. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. It's been, I don't know, it's COVID. We interviewed like a year, year and a bit ago. So I wanted to reach out mm-hmm. and kind of really get an update of what you guys are up to. So you're co-founder at Skip the Dish, get, Skip the Dishes, and co-founder at Neo Financial. Also recently, I'm not sure how long, but you're hosting your own podcast. So if anyone hasn't had a chance to bump into you or what you guys are doing, maybe let's, I think, Skip the Dishes. We don't need to give that one a, a, an explanation, but talk to us about Neo Financial. What do you, what are you guys up to? So at NEO, we've really kind of reimagined the way that people are looking at their relationship with their money. And the way to think about it is almost as a, as a financial operating system. And in the same way that you use kind of iOS or Windows and you have different apps, uh, NEO really is that operating system for your finance. And then within it, you have different apps um, that serve different functions. So one is could be spending, and that can be in the form of a digital credit card and a physical card. Uh, another function would be saving, and that could be uh, in the form of our savings account, which is, you know, I think uh, 140 times higher than the big five banks. <laughs> um, and we have uh, another product called Credit Builder, which is the first of its kind in Canada that really enables any Canadian, regardless of credit history, credit score, to participate in the financial system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we're in the process of launching additional products that uh, I can't wait to announce, uh, but that are going to kind of serve more on the growth side of helping people build their wealth. Um, and we really kind of tie it all together in an experience that's more similar to like a Spotify or a Netflix style experience than a you know traditional banking experience. And uh, it's been a pretty wild year, I'm not going to lie, since <laughs> we, uh, we last spoke. Uh, 
you know, we raised uh, over $100 million and have expanded coast to coast in Canada. And now we're, we're focused on just going deeper in every single market, building new partnerships. Fantastic. I have so, so many questions, but let's, let's anchor this. Uh, something I'm incredibly excited about and proud of is you guys are Calgary based. I know you're all across and the country, but your head office, you are based, you are, you're based here in Western Canada. This, this is a, this is a cool idea coming out of Calgary. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I identify as being prairie based. Uh, I grew okay. up in Saskatchewan and um, really proud to be from Saskatchewan. And uh, I've spent some time in, in Winnipeg when, when I was leading Skip the Dishes and, and then we, we moved to, to Calgary because, you know, similar to when we moved to Winnipeg, we saw kind of a, a burgeoning tech scene that, um, that we felt um, we could participate in and really help give it a boost. And um, I think we talked about this last time I was on the pod, but it was really around, you know, you, you can choose to headquarter a company in a city like Toronto or Silicon Valley, um, but those cities already have kind of well-established tech scenes. And for, for me, what's really motivating is really how big of an impact am I going to be able to have? Um, and being able to come to a city, um, build a unicorn, um, have a successful exit, um, that helps pave the way for other, other startups to do that. And if it's already been done a hundred times in a city, it's, it, it's kind of one of many, and it's not really going to move the needle all that much on that city. And, um, so we really looked at Calgary and we were thinking like, Hey, like there's been some great, um, exits in the past couple of years since actually, since we moved here. And again, we have nothing to do with them, but seeing Solium and Shareworks, um, and then Benevity uh, had an exit. And there was another one just, uh, I think in the spring, um, I forget the name of it, but uh, it's education software. Okay, um, yeah, it was like a four or five hundred million dollar exit. Um, great, great Calgary stories, and um, we just really wanted, we wanted to be a part of that movement. And so we've got our headquarters here in Calgary uh, downtown, kind of east east side of downtown, um, and we've also got another head office in in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Okay, nice. All right. And hey, back to the what's happened in the, and I think, you know, just touching on you and I were chatting about this before we hit the record button, you know, when you can see it, it's so much easier to believe you can be it, right? And I think having those examples in companies that are setting the stage, it all of a sudden becomes like, well, yeah, why, why, why can't we do that as well? Because it's also happening here. And I think that's so powerful to have these stories. But again, part of why we did, we did this podcast was these stories weren't always getting told by mainstream media. So how do we get it out there from an inspirational perspective? Yeah. And, and it's, it's kind of like there's that there's that bias where you kind of see successful companies and and again I don't I don't claim that Neo is a successful company at all. Um, I think we're in the pursuit of success, um, and even at Skip the Dishes, never really ever felt like that was a success, but always felt like we were chasing it. And what I get really fired up about is when I see people just going for it. Um, that really fires me up, and and I and I mentioned it earlier, but I got to thank you for turning me on to, to Kevin Crow because, you know, seeing a guy like him going out and running like 500 kilometers, <laughs> um, yes. kind of crazy guy. And, uh, that got me fired up because I was like, Hey, like here's a guy getting after it and going for it and setting, uh, you know, crazy goals. Um, that, that helped inspire me to do the same thing. And, hmm. and the next thing I knew I was running 160 kilometer races this summer and, you know, really, you know, grateful to have have met him, and um, I love seeing more and more companies starting up and, and setting these crazy goals, and and then saying like, hey, whether we succeed or fail, we're going to go after it as hard as we can, and hmm. and that's really the attitude that we have at Neo. 
which I appreciate. I love what you said about, well, you know, the always felt like we're chasing it. There's always a pursuit, the hustle, the grind, all the words you want to use. You know, there was never a sense of arrive. There was always a sense of, yeah, yeah, it's going well, but what's, but what's next? And I think that can become addicting, but also be overwhelming for someone who's not, this isn't about setting a goal and just hitting it. It's about setting such a lofty goal that you run after it all the time. And that can wear you down too. Like you've got to have some energy in it because that sense of like, okay, not good enough. We always have to do more. There's a fine balance there, but we're not going to turn this into a psychology episode, but it is an interesting, but when you see other people doing it, I find inspiration in that as well. I, that's why I like, I want to bump, you can find inspiration anywhere. You just got to sometimes go and look for it and bump into it. Guys like Kevin are such a good example. Uh, yeah. Curious, just the last year, let's run some numbers. You guys, 64 million in your series B that you raised uh, from, I think Peter Thiel was involved, which is a big name. I think anyone who's done any reading at all has bounced around awfully some of his quotes or some of his books. You're up to, um, what's been your headcount? How many people have you added over the last year, year-ish <laughs> timeline? I think we've, um, I know we're sitting at about 550 um, nice. right now. And, you know, that's pretty equally split between um, tech roles. So engineering, product, uh, and then more kind of support based. And, and we look at support kind of as support for our, our retail brands in the form of kind of customer support for their customers and, and also marketing support, account management. Um, I'm not sure how many it's been the last year, probably around 400-ish. That's sig- okay, so been, out of a 550 awesome. total, 400 of that has been the last year-ish. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and it's been phenomenal. Like we, we're so you know blessed in, in Calgary to have access to such an incredible pool of, of talent. Um, That's great to hear. And, uh, and also, like we are probably one of the biggest champions for the Prairies in general uh, when we're talking to people. Like, I don't know the exact number, but a good, good chunk of our of our hires are coming in from uh, out of province. Okay. And so we're relocating people from all around the globe, you know, South Africa, uh, Brazil, Africa, Europe, um, East Coast, the U.S. And we're just, <laughs> we're, we're basically the biggest cheerleaders for the prairies and talking about the quality of life, talking about the affordability, talking about the community, um, and of course, all the great things that we're doing here uh, at NEO and and um, what I love about this is that it's it's really kind of growing the whole pie for the, t- the mm-hmm. tech ecosystem here uh, and I, I have no illusions like we're not uh, these aren't indentured uh, workers like they they're gonna have a great career with us and and if there's another company that they see and are really passionate about um, that happens to be in, in Calgary then that's another win because hmm. now we've just gotten another really talented individual um, to go and work for one of these other startups and help them build uh, what they're you know dreaming about, and so it's been it, de- it definitely hasn't been easy. Like we've if I if I look like I've maybe lost some hair or am I a little tired, <laughs> it's because uh, we've been putting in some pretty long days. Uh, you know, hiring 400 people in a year is is uh, is a lot of work, but uh, especially when you're when the quality of the bar is really high. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's been it's been a fantastic experience, but it's exceeded my expectations for sure. I really love what you said, or certainly what I heard was a sense of abundance around talent of being able to bring people here. And like you said, this is a highly mobile workforce that are highly valued and skilled, but that's where we're, uh, I really see, and certainly the guests I've been chatting with even the last couple of years, 
always a scarcity mindset. And I'm not saying that negatively, but just, oh man, talent, talent and money, talent and money, talent and money. We got to, okay, we found the money. We can't find the talent to hear you talk about it as from a sense of abundance, but also there's that spill off effect that every time a company grows and either has an exit, there's people that spill back into the, into the ecosystem with money, with connections, with experience and the energy and the fire to build it again. And that's where I think we're, you know, we're very early in that journey compared to, you know, other jurisdictions, but that's, I'm, I've seen that happen. I'm hearing about it more that energy around that, like the way you just described it in the last 12 months, way more than I did the 12 months before that. If I'm just going to, you know, take the last couple of years mm-hmm. as a period of time. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, we're, I think that we're in the middle of uh, a revolution of sorts. When you look at, I think a hundred years from now, they're going to, they're going to look at this era as really, you know, the information age of when, you know, the internet arrived uh, and then when mobile um, and now we're getting into kind of crypto and we're getting into, you know, AR, VR, and you're just kind of seeing digital taking over the world. And so it's kind of this wave that's kind of, we're, we're, we're kind of, you can kind of debate which part of the wave that we're on, but I think you have to be able to, if anyone surfed, you know, kind of how you have to like be on the board and then you have to be like swimming your, your butt off trying to like keep up with that wave. Paddle, 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 paddle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and heaven forbid I'm you pop up too I'm, soon or too late. And I'm not a good surfer either, but I've been thrashed <laughs> enough times to know how to do it wrong. <laughs> yeah, I think there's some like blooper videos of me surfing on the internet somewhere. Um, nice. We'll, we'll, my we, 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 can trade, we can trade blooper videos sometime. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I think that in order to catch the wave, like you have to have this crew of incredibly uh, gifted people. And I, and, I, and I think when you talk about talent too, it's interesting because like, the most talented people aren't really looking for jobs. Like they have the pick of the litter. They can go wherever they want typically. And, and so I think you can try to fight over a very, very relative few number of people. And um, I had Derek, the CEO of uh, Tentree on my podcast on, uh, I think it was last week. And it was interesting. It's, it's kind of like, they're just, they're doing their thing. They're very purpose-driven. They are about planting trees and, and offsetting carbon. And like, that's their mission. Um, they planted over close to hundred million trees, I think. And what I love about that is that that's going to attract a certain type of person who, you know, they're not going to care if Exxon Mobil comes to them and says, Hey, do you want to make more money working for, you know, oil and gas company because they care so much about it. So I think by being super focused on what your mission is and and really what you're about as a company, um, it will attract the right type of people who, you know, may happen to also be incredibly gifted and you don't need to fight as hard. Um, and then there's the other part of it is taking ordinary people and putting them in a position through coaching, mentoring um, to do extraordinary things. And I think that's, you know, those two things I think have really helped us, but we still have a long ways to go. We're very early on in this journey. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate, you know, employer as a marketer, employer branding is a conversation I've had off and on for years with companies. And it, it, it's interesting to hear you talk. And I agree. It's shifting to, it's, you know, the employer brand is the purpose, is what are we doing that's bigger than, oh, you know, like I was talking to, I was t- in a discovery session with a client yesterday and I said, hey, you know, we've all heard the story. You go to the, you go to the janitor who's working at NASA and say, what do you do? He's like, well, I put people on the moon. You know, versus I clean the floor. And, you know, this company, they kind of, they were a construction organization that definitely was forward thinking, but still 
kind of a construction company, nothing, nothing negative, but they knew it too. They're like, mm-hmm. we got to break out of this because we have a labor shortage. We can't get talent. We've got to get a brand out there. When I asked that question, they all kind of paused. And, you know, as an organization, if you're not able to, if your team isn't able to articulate that, it's because one, you haven't given them the opportunity, but it's an interesting, you know, I love that story. We've all heard it. You know, oh, I, I put people on the moon. Geez, looks like you're mopping the floor. Oh no, 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 no. That's what I do to make sure that that other thing happens. So circling back to oh, some totally. of the things you said earlier, you know, savings, you know, credit card, I heard inclusivity, you know, for people that are kind of, I think, held out of the traditional system. All that was very client, like a very customer or individual or me as a human mm-hmm. related. I'm curious, and now this is me, my business hat, where does the merchant fit into this? And how does this, you know, how does it, because I'm assuming you also have some upsides for merchants, which are getting eaten up by shipping costs and transaction fees and overly abundant yeah. rates that, that me as a customer, I don't always care, but I don't always see it, but it ends up in my price. It ends up in my goods. Yeah. So what? Do, what yeah, how does that look from your guys' perspective? It's been awful, Tyler, in the last two years for for small, medium-sized businesses. They've been getting just absolutely crushed uh, in a number of different ways. So number one is like closures. So you know, I, I'm not going to take sides on if they were fair or not because you know they were necessary. But um, I felt like they impacted small businesses a lot more than large. Um, and you can look at you know earnings that are coming out for some of these large big box companies that did quite well over the pandemic. Um, and then the other side of it is on the logistics, so supply chain. And just the other day, I had someone over. My wife and I just moved to a new place in Bridgeland, and um, it's uh, we had someone come in and look at our furnace. And basically, he said every furnace has been purchased by the, the large companies. Um, so as soon as they saw there was supply chain issues, they just bought up every furnace. Because, um, because they, they had the financial means to do that. <laughs> just to have the inventory. Yeah. Um, and now he's like, literally, if I want to fix a furnace, I can, I, like, I, I'm screwed. I can't, like, I can't get any parts. I can't even replace the furnace. So I can turn a wrench and that's about it. So it's been really unfair. And there are, you know, unfortunately, we were not able to help with supply chain. That's not really an area that we play in, but... One of the areas that we have been really able to help is is really on uh, the marketing and on the you know, insights into data. Um, and I, th- I think that a lot of people maybe don't know this, but um, most retailers, small and large, know very, very little about their customers. Um, and, and that's why you kind of see very little personalized experiences uh, when it comes to uh, brick and mortar retail. Even online, it's getting better, but it's still, it's not there. And you compare that to like Spotify or Netflix, you almost get angry when it recommends something that you don't want to watch. You're like almost offended. You're like, I don't want to watch this movie. Like, come don't on. Don't you like, even know me? <laughs> yeah. so, Love Actually? So come on. Yeah. I've already seen that three Well, it times. is the holiday season. Come, come on. They know you want to watch it a fourth time. Jeff. Come on. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm secretly, I'm And after you're going to watch the holiday, well, I know how it goes. I know. I get it. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, and so what we've been able to do is is really to help them understand their customers better and understand, you know, what should they be paying to acquire a customer? Uh, what's the lifetime value of a customer? What's their, the frequency of their customer? Like if you were to ask someone like, hey, like how often do your customers come in and spend with you? They'd kind of look up and they'd kind of be like, ah, oh, maybe like once a month. It, it's all anecdotal. It's all guessing. And um, at the same time, um, they've been paying incredibly high credit card fees on every single swipe of a card and just getting no value in exchange for that. Getting the, the privilege um, of letting that person use that card at your store. That's about all you get from that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's this huh. crazy value transfer where a customer will use their credit card. They'll get, you know, some type of points. Um, 
the person the the merchant that you bought that from uh, that bought that you swiped your card at they're paying for your points and then those points 99% of the time can't even be redeemed back at the merchant that you spent it with so it's 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 just a value transfer from the small to the large so in the case of like Loblaws for example if you're using a PC Mastercard at a, a local business you'll get PC points but then you you're having to go back to Loblaws to do that so Loblaws loves that because it's a it's a great idea. I mean, you can introduce more spend into your ecosystem, but for everyone else, it's not really fair to them. So what we've been able to do is to really turn that on their head uh, so that we're able to give everybody the ability to get, uh, to not only save money on, on transaction costs, um, not only to acquire customers through a lot of the digital uh, marketing that we're able to do to acquire customers for the merchant, um, but also give them those data insights that they really can't get anywhere else and then that helps them make better decisions throughout their entire business um, and we're able to do that with small companies you know large companies we worked we work with uh, Hudson's Bay, Dollarama, uh, Napa and so we've got a whole stable of other large retailers that are coming um, so it's been it's been huge like fantastic growth on that side of the business as well. What I'd love to hear is how you're kind of almost democratizing the ability, you know, like what it's an unfair advantage where these large organizations have so much data and they're able to process it and make decisions. But you as the small to medium sized retailer just don't have the infrastructure to get access to that data. So therefore you can't, you're at a disadvantage in your ability to go, what should I do? What should I stock? What inventory should I get ready? It's all this gut and intuition, but your, com your competitors have data, <laughs> you know, to the point that, you know, we've all read the articles very soon. Amazon will just start shipping you things because they are know you're going to buy it. <laughs> you know, that's a whole other competitive advantage that as a mid-size or small retailer, like you said, who got hit the most in the last couple of years just doesn't have access. So that's really interesting to hear you guys also, you know, bringing that at scale to companies that just couldn't afford to build it themselves, to be blunt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it's free for them to join as well. So we're not charging them monthly fees. We're not charging them, um, you know, a sign up fee or anything like that. It takes like a day for them to get up and running on our platform and mm -hmm. so i mean no, no one has time to sit around and go through a week or month-long implementations <laughs> so we've just focused really really hard on making it super accessible making it uh, very low touch and frictionless to get them started and um and that, that's made it kind of more widely available and so we we now kind of work with about close to six thousand um partners nice. across the country kind of coast to coast and you know, these could be a barber shop, uh, it could be a grocery store, gas stations, um, restaurants are, are quite popular, cafes. We work with, you know, some great cafes here in town, like Phil and Sebastian, Monogram. I see your, I see your, um, I'm seeing your little sticker on the door show up more and more and more. It's on my radar for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, I mean, we've been working with them to, to do kind of co-branded campaigns too. So we have an in-house production studio, which is really cool, really very gifted team headed up by Scott Mallow, who is a really gifted uh, creative and um, so we're able to shoot uh, some incredible, uh, you know, motion and also still photography and um, really feature that on our social channels, give it to the brands. And so people can, I mean, if people have time, check out our YouTube page and you can really see kind of the, some of these stories um, behind some of these great local legends. Uh, and we also just launched our, our first national TV campaign as well. Um, so that's kind of live now and was a lot of work kind of getting it going and it's our first exposure. So nice. super nervous about getting it going. Nah, but, that's, and those yeah. TV campaigns don't launch themselves, right? That's a lot of work. Mm. Well, especially when you produce them yourself. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, we, yeah, I'm hearing you guys have your own in-house studio. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so typically people will go and get an agency to do it for them, and but you know all the creative and production was done um, by our people here in Calgary, and we worked with local brands, national brands, incorporated them into our campaign, uh, and then kind of tried to show a little bit about what Neo's about uh, in in the actual like kind of app um, images and kind of um, really showing how Neo is a lifestyle brand. Uh, unlike kind of a typical bank, which is kind of more transactional in nature with their customers, we're, we're looking to really build uh, deeper lifelong relationships with, with people. Curious on that on that front, is your do you have a kind of a profile of your customer? Like, is your customer pr- profile typically younger, older? Is there a mixed bag? Obviously, when you look at your branding and your look and feel, it definitely has a younger, uh, you know, appealing to a generation that the clearly the big banks don't appeal to in this in, in the same way. Like my, my my dad's bank versus you know, wow, this is going to be for me. I'm assuming you guys are attracting a younger cohort, or are you seeing a mix all up and down the chain? Um, it's both. So I think uh, organically, we're seeing uh, a fairly young demo uh, naturally attracted to Neo. Just given that we're fully digital, uh, if you go to our website and check out our branding, it's it's very kind of colorful. It's very different. Um, it's very not. It's very not the big banks. <laughs> yeah, and I think we're very clear. Like we're not your parents' bank, um, nor are we trying to be. And so, I think we see people who are kind of we call them pioneers. Um, that's kind of like people who are, you know, between 18 and 34, um, you know, inner city, uh, who really kind of care about like authenticity, kind of that community feel, um, fairness and inclusivity. Mm-hmm. Um, they really naturally are attracted to kind of a mobile first approach, which we've, which we've uh, taken. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, like really value the, all the security measures that we've incorporated by using kind of modern technology because we've virtually built everything ourselves. Um, but we also see our customer base look a lot like um, the brands that we work with. So we have a lot of, uh, okay. we call them pragmati- pragmatists, and they are kind of skew a little bit older, kind of 35 to 50, um, you know, middle class to affluent. And these people may be the ones that are shopping at some of the brands that we work with. Maybe it'd be an Earl's or it could be uh, Hudson's Bay or it could be Dollarama. Uh, and so as customers join Neo through the partnerships that we have with our retailers, um, our customer base kind of takes on the customer base that they have. Okay, which makes which makes sense. And as you get more of that critical mass, it, it's going to be get that 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 natural growth curve of getting more people exposed to it. Like you said, if I'm a shopper, I'd love to here, hear your thoughts, them, uh, Tyler, because you're, I'm not a marketer. You are. And like, so what are your thoughts on the brand? Because uh, it's always something you put out there and you're like, what are people going to think of this? <laughs> no, I've been watching you guys grow and, and really enjoy it. I've been listening to your radio ads more so because I'm just in the car more. So I've run into that versus I haven't seen the TV, the, the TV campaign. I like the brand or definitely from it resonates with me, but I also understand I look at it and go, okay, this is clearly targeted a younger, different approach. And that's why I asked the question around consumer of who you were getting. So myself yeah. being maybe on the older end of your, your 35 to 50 demographic, still underneath that line, but close, you know, think you're, about you're it. 20 years old at heart, Tyler. Yeah, well, yeah, based on some of the stupid things I do. But yeah, that's another story. Let's not go back to surfing again. <laughs> <laughs> 
surf, surf like you're 20 and you're never going to, and, and you're not breakable. Well, that's untrue. So I like it and I, but it really definitely skews to yeah. me in a younger way. And it kind of feels yeah. very much like it fits into kind of those category, like the way Airbnb shows up or, you know, Uber, yeah. a lot of them, it fits into that. So part of it, what I really like is that it's such a juxtaposition to the big five banks, but it also, and I say this in a positive way, it's a bit predictable when I go, well, yeah, of course they're going to want to show up this way because this is the demographic, but that just gets your first taste, right? That gets you your look. When you start digging in and start reading some of your value propositions, that's when it moves from, yeah, I can connect to this brand, but I think what I love about your messaging is it makes sense very quickly. And that's where the story goes from like, I'm aesthetically attracted to it and it feels comfortable to me. And it's, it's like other brands I enjoy, but your messaging is I think where you guys have done a really good job. And even the way you rhymed it off, here's the way that we are kind of solving the problem through, through, through an inspiring solution for everything from your savings to your credit card to building your credit if you're if you're someone who's being excluded from playing the financial yeah. game. I think you guys have done a really good job of kind of identifying the problem and and articulating it in a way that I get it as a consumer yeah. once I've gone past the, I like the look, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Mm. And I think it, it helps that, I mean, I'm the old guy at, the, at, at NEO, so <laughs> I think the average age of, of our teams is probably around 27, 28. Um, so this is really a bank being built by you know, by the, like, we, we really look a lot like our, our customers. Yeah, you're, you're, so we, yeah, we understand. Your target audience to, is also who's doing, and that's so rare in marketing. Yeah. And it can be a tough conversation when you're not the target audience because everyone thinks somehow they're building a reflection of themselves. <laughs> yeah, and I think, like, listen, I, and I've got nothing against the big five oligarchs, but, it you know, it, they've, you know, many of the people who have worked there, it's very difficult for them to understand what the average Canadian goes through anymore. And, you know, I, I know what it's been like to wake up and not know how you're going to pay rent this month um, or to kind of be like looking at groceries and trying to figure out like what's the highest calories per dollar that you can spend. Um, you know, I've gone, you know, years without a paycheck, just burning through my savings, trying to build something that you believe in and um, that cloud that can kind of hang over you. Um, and so... I feel like more and more Canadians are starting to feel like the big five can't really relate to them um, as people. Uh, they just have so much dominance. Like they have 85 to 90% of the market. Um, they're virtually indistinguishable aside from a different color paint. Um, the rate of innovation is so slow. 90% um, of their IT budgets are just spent on maintenance um, versus, you know, you look at Neo and it's like, hey, it's built, you know, it's built by users, people who um, who are just like our customers, who have gone through what our customers gone, went through, are going through it right now. And um, the rate of innovation, because we've built 90 plus percent of our tech stack, is 10x what anyone else is going to be able to get close to. And and that's kind of the cool thing about you know having a product like Neo is that it gets better the more you use it. So. Um, the more you use it, the more personalized the experience is going to get, the, the more cash back that customers get, the better their savings is. Uh, and then because of the innovation rate, new features come out and the app will literally change from each time you log in because we've rolled out a new feature, we've rolled out an enhancement. It's not just kind of like behind the scenes bugs, patches. It's actually like, oh, I can like, you know, automatically transfer my cash back into my high interest savings account now. Or, it, you know, it's, you know, 10 times faster for me to pay off my bill because it's just like one click. So like little things like that, that 
would take months or years for a, a traditional bank to, to roll out, we're able to do uh, in days or weeks, which is a testament to the to the engineers and the product teams at, at Neo. Curious, I definitely want to dive into some of the, the funding and the raising, but how do you maintain a culture? Because sometimes when you, you know, there's always, oh, geez, remember when we were smaller and we were innovative? Remember when we were agile and we could do things quickly? Just thinking about it from a leadership and setting the tone perspective, 550 people, potentially 400 of the last year, you doubled again. How do you maintain that type of innovation and always improving mindset in a culture that sometimes size can 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 collapse it under its own weight? I'm assuming that's a conversation, you're smiling. So I know that's a conversation that's being had. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. I definitely don't have the, the, the answer or the secret or like the one thing or the three hacks that you can do. And <laughs> Come on, give um, me your top three list, Jeff. Come on. <laughs> So, I mean, it's something that we're always working on and something that we always need to get better at. I think um, maybe I can talk about what we've done. Um, so I think first is leading by example. If, if you want people to work hard and you're on vacation all the time uh, or you're not working hard, I mean, that's not going to create a, gul- a great culture. And so I think our founders, our senior team, they're incredibly dedicated. I think they really live um, what we want to see out of all of our teams and so I think anyone coming to a new company who sees that their manager and their team is working super hard, um, you know, is very de- disciplined and dedicated, um, very respectful to one another and, and kind of having fun doing it, that I think creates an environment. And, and I think we were fortunate to get to a critical mass. I mean, we were doubly fortunate to have a lot of people uh, from Skip the Dishes who were crazy enough to want to do this again with us. Um, they, so they already kind of knew. They, they knew the flavor of the Kool Aid. <laughs> they, yeah, they they knew what they're getting into, and still somehow wanted to do it again. And <laughs> so that kind of core and that foundation really helps set the tone and the pace. Uh, and then as you add people on, they kind of see how things are being done and, and kind of what good looks like and what's what you know what's acceptable. Um, and then they kind of they kind of are able to come in and you know build on on that foundation and add their own flavor um, to what we're doing. And I don't think that by any means our culture is set yet. I feel like it's still because we're in such a rapidly changing industry right now, like fintech is absolutely taking over. And so I don't want to come in and say, hey, these are our five values um, because we, we may be doing something totally different six months from now. And I don't want to be having to go and like erase one of them off of the wall and put a different one on. Uh, because when we put those up and out into the world, they're going to be, it's going to be a discovery process that we go through. And I don't want it to come down from high and just kind of, Hey, these are our values from, now from, the, it's I, from be, the Ivy tower. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. It's going to be talking to people in the company and talking to our merchants and our customers and finding out, you know, what are the, even the virtues, not even the values, what are the virtues that we need to have the more action oriented aspect of values, uh, in order for us to achieve our mission. And, and I think that's, that's kind of how we've looked at it. And, and I think uh, the other piece is that, you know, founders are very, very close to the hiring process. And that means that um, virtually up until like literally last week, I was in almost every single interview of, you know, anyone under my teams and same thing with the other founders and in, in their teams. And so we had our kind of fingers on the pulse of kind of what are the types of people that are coming in so we could always kind of get that culture fit mm-hmm. um, judgment call because you could be the smartest person in the world, but if you're not a good culture fit, that's 
it's very hard to change. Um, and uh, so that that's helped too. We, and you know, we, we don't get it right 100% of the time and, and we need to get better at it all the time. Um, but it's something that we certainly care about and are always working on getting better at. Uh, it's interesting. Listen to you talk, you know, this is your culture. Like that is the environment you create of inclusivity and in, in gaining, you know, I appreciate we always have a culture and it's always happening and it's always based more on what we do and how we act, not what we put on the wall. <laughs> I really like that. Like, Oh, look, look, mission, vision values on the wall over there. I'm like, Hmm. Yeah. That, that layer yeah. of dust over it probably is telling. <laughs> I know. And I, I came in, I felt like we were, we waited too long at skip to do it. And then when I came in at Neo, like when we were just starting up, I was like, we need to get our values in order we need to know what we're about and do that as early as possible and then kind of the more I started kind of brainstorming about hey what should they be because you had no employees to talk to um, and so I was just kind of thinking about it and I was I kept spinning on it and spinning and spinning it's because we didn't really have a product in market we didn't have customers uh, we barely had a team um, and so this time I, we're, we're, we're going to go through a much more a process internally to find out like, you know, what do they need to be in order for us to achieve our mission? And um, so I think it's going to be a really eye-opening experience. Um, it's going to be, you know, probably not a short process, but <laughs> I, don't, I think yeah. it is important that you do get that done at some point once you have a little bit more stability. I'm being open to what shows up versus already just trying to go find things that validate the agenda you already have. That's a very different process, right? <laughs> what can I do to validate my cognitive biases versus going, well, what is going to show up? And let's, let's just literally start with an open mind. It's easy to say, you and I chatting here now, sometimes it's hard to do because we have our own notions. We have our ideas mm -hmm. as leaders. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I feel like if we did it too early and I see a lot of companies, they do it right away and uh, and then it ends up kind of like Enron where integrity is one of your values <laughs> and you're uh, like, that's a great example. You know, in a lot of companies, they'll put like respect on their wall and it can get weaponized against your teams when it's like, Hey, you disagreed with me. You're not being respectful. It's like, all right, well hmm. maybe we don't know what respect is or what is our version of that? And, uh, or like, Hey, we value hard work. It's like, okay, well like what does that look like in action? And I, I think I'd rather not have them publicly posted um, than to have them and be kind of hypocrites or to kind of constantly be like, oh, like I never thought how that could be perceived in this way and mm -hmm. like how it's actually working the opposite way. Uh, and then you're not authentic. And then that's probably the worst feeling ever is working wow. for, for a team that isn't genuine or authentic. And it's like, okay, so anyways, we're taking our time on it, and, and, but it will, it will kind of get more uh, formalized eventually. I, pre I, know, I appreciate I appreciate your honesty. I had, a, I had a speaker once years ago and some executive said, you know, you can only choose values that have a viable alternative. And, I, and he said, you know, you can't pick trustworthy because being untrustworthy is not a viable alternative for a group of individuals to be successful. And I loved it. He's like, be respectful. So is, it, is being disrespectful a viable alternative? No, well, then that's not something you can choose. You have to have something with more thought behind it that you could yeah. be this creativity. Maybe not, you know, being lack creative. Like if it's my bookkeeper, I don't want them to be creative. And I love the way that I've always used that as a filter. And usually I get some dirty looks because someone's got trust and respect and honesty on their values list. <laughs> I'm like, but yeah, but those are table stakes. You should just be that as a human. But, you know, and understanding that it's not a viable value because not doing the thing, you shouldn't even be showing up in a group of people. I just, I loved it. And I've always used that as a bit of my armchair filter. <laughs> yeah. And I, there's a great book on this. Uh, I think it's, um, what you do is who you are. 
I think it's Cat, called. Cat. I, I like. I haven't. I haven't read it, but I liked it. I like the title. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and he he talks about um, like you need to have the the action oriented version of like so virtues are a lot more valuable than values, and mm. so in in kind of formulating theirs, uh, it's like hey, we value time, and so that means that if you're uh, for every minute you're late to a meeting with a founder because uh, they, they run Andreessen Horowitz, mm-hmm. um, you have to pay $50 for every minute uh, you're late because we value time. Hmm. So for every value, they have an example of like what that value looks like in practice so that there isn't confusion yeah. around like trust. Okay, does trust mean you just trust everyone? And it's like, well, I told this you know intern to uh, close this you know billion-dollar deal. I trusted them. I was just living our values. Well, that, maybe that's not exactly <laughs> what we meant by that. So maybe... Trust is more around like, you know, we trust, but we verify, you know. Hmm. So observable behaviors is a cool concept. What I'm hearing you say is like, you still have to be able to observe it in real life, which what is it when it actions? And oftentimes that's the difference between like a word on a piece of, on a a plaque or actually how people act. Like we value time and here's how we value it in this setting. Uh, There's not really much room for interpretation at that point, which I love. (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. Uh, one last, Jeff, one, one last. I could just keep pounding you with questions all day. Thanks for the chat. Curious, 64 million Series B. Um, you guys, how much of that was out of Canada? How much was that raised in Canada? Just, you know, I know we got a few minutes here before. We, I want. I don't want to, I don't want to overkeep you for your next meeting, but really curious kind of what that journey was and how you guys were received and, and where was the appetite for that investment? Uh, where, did it, where, where did it kind of come from to make that happen? Yeah, I mean, I feel like fundraising is always interesting and um, I think you can never go in with uh, with like this is exactly what it's going to happen and uh, this prime example of uh, my partner and our CEO, Andrew Chow, was uh, on the road meeting with investors um, March 15th, 16th of 2020 and literally it was like Indiana Jones rolling underneath the kind of closing door trying to get back to Canada before the borders closed. Um, you know, and we, we went from having, you know, 30 to 40 investor meetings lined up and then to be kind of being in San Francisco, hopping on a Zoom call with other people in San Francisco and just kind of being like, man, like, why the hell are we here when we're still having to, like, talk to people over a video call? Um, so, so both of our rounds have been raised virtually 100% remote. Wow. Um, which I think is, is good um, in some ways. Like it's obviously like it can be, I don't want to say efficient, uh, but it's like nice to not have to travel to, to get something done. But at the same time, I do value uh, relationships. And mm-hmm. uh, I think especially having a great relationship with someone who you're going to allow to buy ownership of your company. I think you need to have a strong relationship with those people because um, it's in some ways it's like a marriage. Um and so you, you want to know these people. And I, you know, you look at like almost like a long distance relationship, like no one, like you can do a long distance relationship, but it's not the optimal situation. Yeah, it, it, like you want not, to be in person to, then that's where the magic happens. And, and so I, I have mixed feelings on, on kind of remote in general, because I do feel like humans were meant to be together. Uh, but there's always a place though. Like if you already know someone really well, you can hop on a video call and you can get a lot done. There's what, no question. What phase the relationship um, in does play a factor for sure. No question. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we went out, we talked to a bunch of really, you know, interesting folks from kind of all around the globe. And, and, you know, I think part of it is, I think that we're taking a really different approach 
to building a bank in Canada. We have very high ambitions. We're not looking to build just a kind of a small regional bank. We're we're looking to become uh, as big as the the top five banks in Canada, um, and we're we're well on our way to get there. And you know that ambition I think is attractive to a lot of investors because you know they want to see people going after big problems in big big markets. And the Canadian market is is a five hundred billion dollar opportunity. So you know that that certainly. Um, gets their attention and when they look at what we've done in the past and the approach that we've taken and, and how we're doing it right now um, you know we have that traction that they like to see that we have a very very strong team that they like to see they they like the the space um, but not, not everyone's saying yes to all the time like we get turned down all the time um, but like we kind of don't really care too much about someone saying no because like the last thing we want is a hesitant investor um, we, we want investors that are, have as much conviction as we do. Uh, and we've turned down um, better term sheets to go with people who we believe in. Uh, investors I, I, who, I appreciate who, that because it feels so much like, a, like yeah, they're, like, they're, they're giving your taking, but it's no, it is a give and take both ways. Even, um, you know, really short story. I remember our first round that we raised at Skip, you know, we were getting laughed out of every VC boardroom. Um, <laughs> You know, they're just like, where, where are you from? Like Winnipeg, Saskatoon? Like, the, like what other companies have come from there? And they're like, is there a direct flight from San Francisco? And like, there's a, it was just like, we were just so out of, like fish out of water. And, uh, you know, I felt like almost like a, a villager coming into the big city and kind of looking around. And, uh, and I think they definitely picked up on that. And so we did not have many uh, suitors. And, uh, but then when we finally got, you know, a term sheet, um, we were kind of def- deciding between two different VCs to kind of lead the round. It was a small round. It was like, like a million bucks or something. Yep. And in literally in between, we had 15 minutes to, to decide. And then in between someone called, um, an angel investor and said, Hey, I'll tell you what, I'll take the whole round and I'll do it at double the valuation that you're going to do it at. So basically just doubled the value of the company in, in like one conversation. Um, and we ultimately ended up turning down that offer and went with someone who we believed values were aligned with us and who we believe really got us um, and was going to hustle for us and, and kind of really, really fight for us if it was ever needed. Uh, and that same investor, actually, Matt Golden from Golden Ventures, he's again with us at NEO. Um, so for us, like fit is super, super important. Um, and just like people who feel like one of us, um, as opposed to just who's got the best kind of VC brand. Um, and we've turned down some really like tier one household name VCs because it's kind of like, I feel like they just want to get in. They don't really get us. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if they're like, we're going to be a small fish for them. Um, we'd rather have someone who's going to have our back when we need it if we need it. I appreciate the discipline you guys have throughout, like like I'm hearing throughout the theme throughout the conversation, whether it's your merchant partners, your the end consumer, your team, uh, there's a consistent theme throughout this, which is fit, shared values. You know, you, do you say the same virtues? Do you believe in the same vision of what you're going to create in the world? It takes a lot of discipline. I want to just really kudos to you guys because it takes a lot of discipline to hold that line. It's great to talk about it on a podcast, but clearly you guys are living it. And when money, pressure, hiring, deadlines, all that stuff starts to pile on, that's when you find out how how tied you are to your virtues or how easily they get swayed in the wind. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> and I think that every day, I think we're, we're being tested and, um, <laughs> you know, things aren't always perfect and we make mistakes every single day. And I think, you know, one of the things that we, I think, try to pride ourselves on is like really owning those mistakes and, and reflecting on how we're going to do better. And, um, but, you know, we're, we're, we understand like this is going to be a long journey for us. Like, again, to become a top bank in Canada, this is not going to happen overnight. So we've got to enjoy the, the process. Uh, we've got to enjoy the pursuit and the chase. That, um, and, and I think we are. Like, we're, I'm just so lucky to be able to work with the people that I get to. Um, and uh, every day I'm just like shocked and amazed that they, they choose to you know, give us their time and, mm-hmm. and choose to, to work with us. Um, so, I mean, I'm grateful to, to kind of be where we are and with who, with who we are and grateful to be here too and have, uh, have this conversation with you too, Tyler. I appreciate Jeff. Thanks so much, man. I, I love it. It's a good rule. Enjoy all days ending in Y. It's a simple, simple strategy. I try to employ it. It doesn't always hold together, but I love your humility and your honesty about the journey that you guys are on. And I love that your prairies based as an organization and so much of what you guys are doing. So thanks for coming back on the show, neofinancial.com. Check it out. Obviously your new pod, your podcast, I say new, I'm not sure how old it is. I discovered it this morning. So I apologize <laughs> behind the brand hosted by Jeff Adamson. You it sounds like you got some great guests that, Tree is an interesting company that I've kind of watched from a distance. So I'm going to go check check out. Is that episode live? Uh, I think it drops next week or no, um, the week after. Okay, Maybe well we it'll it'll be li- it'll be live by one. the time this goes this goes out. So we're we're kind of we're kind of what? Oh, we're not live right now. No, we're not, oh well, that's a whole no. We definitely don't go live. I try to keep myself inside a set of parameters <laughs> on that one. But uh, this will probably yeah. be out. So yeah, it will be live by the time this episode goes live here, at the beginning of January. This one will go out. So thanks so much for coming on, Jeff. Really good to have you back back on the show. I love that I've been doing this long enough. Now I can have returning guests. <laughs> and the, yeah, and, and one they say yes, they say yes, they want to come back. So that's a good sign. <laughs> It's great to see what you've been doing, man. Keep it up. Love it. Um, Thank you. got you. great guests on here. You know, what you're doing is amazing. Um, and I appreciate you, brother. Thanks a lot, man. I really, I've really enjoyed our chat. I will, uh, uh, part three, it's coming. We'll just, we'll, we'll see. Maybe it'll take a year. Maybe it'll take six months, but I look forward to having you on again. And I'm definitely not going on a trail run with you and Kevin. You two, you two crazy guys. Like that's too much. For the, that's too much for me. Too much. <laughs> Anyways, thanks so much, Jeff. I really enjoyed it. All right. See you, Tyler.